Good morning. As you've noticed in your bulletin that uh, we have a special individual here who will be sharing. A uh, little bit of background. Over the years, we've been traveling to uh, Mexico to uh, do our missions trips in winter, building houses. And uh, we have two people here this morning who have direct connections with Hugo. And uh, as you notice in your bulletin, Roberto is one of them. And he's got a friend with him today. And I'd like to introduce him to you, uh, Darren Reed. He's the gentleman who brought Roberto here. Uh, Darren, I believe, is from Alberta. He stopped in, in Saskatchewan to pick up Roberto at his sister's place. And they're here this morning. Welcome here, Darren. And then uh, there's uh, Roberto. I don't think I say it right. I need to roll it a little more, I guess. Roberto. Is that how it is? <laughs> okay. Uh, why don't you come up, Roberto? What we want to do this morning is uh, I'm going to ask Roberto some questions, and uh, he'll answer them. And then after that, he will share a devotional with us. <clears throat> uh, welcome here, Roberto. Our relationship goes back to the winter of 2009 when uh, Pansy made the first trip to Mexico to build a house. And uh, we got to the job site Monday morning and it was wet and it kept on raining and we started building, it kept on raining and we kept on building, it kept on raining. It was cold and it kept on raining and we were shivering, we were wet and uh, Come on, Roberto, we gotta go back to the, to the headquarters so we can dry and get warm. But he just kept on hammering. He called the headquarters, bring me a dry t-shirt, and he kept on going. And that was our first day at work. We have, uh, I've learned to appreciate Roberto over the years. All the years that we've been going to Mexico, uh, I consider him a good friend of mine. So this morning, Roberto, I want to ask you some questions. And uh, you've been with Hugo for quite a number of years. And tell us, how many years have you been with Hugo? Um, hello, everyone. Uh, I, I, Dennis told me he's going to be translating for me, so I'm going to be speaking Spanish. And he's not doing all the translations. So. <laughs> I told him I was not going to be an interpreter. <laughs> so I've been in Hugo, but uh, I think now it's on, I think I'm going on my... 15 or 16 years, and so I started doing, uh, I was a VBS translator that was uh, trying to talking with Danny, I mean, with Janice, and then I think that's how I met him. I, I didn't uh, work with them construction, I was more doing like translation for them. And then after a few years, uh, I got invited to do more, get more involved in construction. So I think I've been doing construction now for t uh, 10 years, I, w I think so. So five years, doing BBS and 10 years doing construction now with you. Thank you. Maybe that's why you kept us going that first day. Yeah, you I was were, excited. Were <laughs> <laughs> I was scared. That was different. <laughs> Hugo has been in Mexico quite a while. What are the different things that Hugo was doing in Mexico? Um, Hugo has done... Uh, we serve the community uh, through different ways. And so, and to explain a little bit better, for many years, Jugo uh, was, um, we were direct contact with the families and we used to 
uh, you know, they will, you, they will come and give applications to us, and, and that's how we choose who to build the houses for. But through the years, we, we encountered with some situations, so you go decide to reach out to the pastors. And to reach, uh, by reaching out to the pastors, we've been able to, pro, uh, to, to provide for them uh, church training, worship training. Uh, we have feeding programs, we have the construction program, and we have, um, and, and, and also we have VBS program, especially during the summertime. Thank you. We built houses with you at Ensenada for a number of years in the surrounding area. And when we go back, we notice that this whole area seems to be growing. There's more and more people coming in. Do you have any idea how, how many people are in that, that whole area that we are, are in? It's, it's really hard to answer that question because I don't think there's really an accurate number for it. Because uh, we have lots of migrant people coming from the southern part of Mexico. So they come, stay for a few months, and they go to, to whatever they can find work. But the Ensenada, Ensenada itself is probably around 600, uh, about 40,000, 60,000 people in the whole area. And where the communities are, I would, if I have to guess, I would say there's probably uh, from 10 to 15,000 people that, you know, changes depends on the season. Thank you. You were saying that people are moving in from different areas. Uh, what does that do to the housing situation? Are there enough houses for all these people? Do they move in with relatives? Uh, what happens to these people who are moving in? <clears throat> the reason why they move, they can be really many. Like, like in my case, my family, we moved because we were pursuing the American dream. So we were planning to get closer to the border and eventually move to the U.S. So in, like my family, there's many families like that. But there's some other, the southern part of Mexico, which is closer to Guatemala, there's a really big amount of poverty. I think that we have there, they have the state, we have the state with the most poverty in Mexico. So many of them would move to Ensenada because we have a lot of farming. And so, uh, so some of them will move for, their, some, for that reason. Some of them uh, to pursue the American dream. Some other people will deport from the U.S. and they don't have anywhere to go. So they either stay in Tijuana or in Ensenada. And, and you know, really the, the reasons why people move can be many, but I think the main, main ones is just they're pursuing, uh, you know, better income. So they look for a job in Ensenada. And um, the need for houses for a lot of them are, are big. Many of them are just new and they're just getting there. So uh, that's why we reach out to them. Thank you. With all the people coming in, are there a lot of new churches starting then too? Uh, something uh, that is really interesting is, is that in the Mexican church, um, you can see that there's like uh, a desire to reach out to those people that do not have or do, have never heard of God. So, so it's really normal to be in a, in a, a Mexican church and, and heard of people that they said, I, I, I have the calling to, to go there and be there or be a pastor. So I wouldn't really know like, 
how many churches, but I know that through the years, I've seen more and more churches growing and more people just, just with their heart to, you know, reach to those that never heard. Right. Uh, just lashing on to what he was saying that the housing, about the housing situation, uh, back to the first house that we built, uh, this couple was living in a very, very small camper trailer. And uh, once this uh, family had a new house, they moved into a new house. And when we came back, either the following year or the year after, somebody else had moved into that little camper trailer. So people are trying to find places where they live. Thank you, Roberto. Uh, talking of houses, can you tell us how the process or what process is involved in, for a family to get a house? Um, so basically, Hugo has said... Um, uh, a team, those teams are the ones that reach out to the pastors. So basically the idea behind all of this is that we, we weren't able to entirely reach to the community so we decided that pastors should be the ones reaching out. So since they have the language and they know the people, they could do better. So basically we handle applications to the different pastors that we work with and, and each pastor, uh, we don't really tell them how they should choose we we leave that up to them so each pastor comes with different ways that they want to choose the family some of them will ask the families to wait a certain time a certain time some other churches would do training it really every different could be different and so once they have a certain amount of applications they will come to Jugo and they say we have you know x amount of people that need a house and Jugo will send these team uh to interview them and that's how like if you guys ever seen the videos of the families and that's how the, that's how it's happened someone goes makes a video interview them make sure that uh the 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 need is real that you know uh that they actually need the house and then if if the team that goes there decide that you know it's a go then the next process is to reach out to you let you know that we have a family for you and then and then whenever you come uh we build the house for them when we as a team go to Mexico, we are English. These Mexican families speak Spanish or some other language. And uh, we don't communicate very well with these folks. And so Roberto, as a foreman, knows their language. He can understand us. And so, Roberto, what are some of the emotions that go through the families? Some uh, of what are some of the emotions that these families feel from start to finish when, when the house is being built? Uh, Do you understand their language? you understand what they talk among each other and so on? Like, I think you can relate a little bit about it. Um, for Mexicans, uh, most of the Mexicans, the desire to own a house is huge. Just so you can have a better idea, uh, the government provide for, the, the government has a program, uh, housing program. So this housing program, they, they give loans. The loans can go from 20 to $30,000. And they're supposed to pay them the 30,000 in, in, in 20, 30 years, but at the end of the 90 or 30 years, they end up paying double what you know the amount of the loan. So for a lot of people that can't get those loans because it's hard, it's difficult. So, so and then the other hand, the, the idea that Mexicans have of Americans and, and Canadians they see you as a rich person. And something I was talking with Dan and 
Genesis that, and I can understand the why, because uh, you have more access to stuff that we don't. It doesn't necessarily make you rich, but for us, the fact that you have a nicer car, that you have something good, uh, for us, it's, it's like, oh man, that, that person must be rich. So, and in Mexico, due to all of the different uh, corruption and everything we have, uh, people that have the most tend to take advantage of us, of the poor people. So when they see someone that uh, is willing to pay for a house that is almost as cost as worthy as one of the government houses, and that you're living to put, you know, nice vacations in Hawaii or whatever, and then you're willing to just uh, be there hands-on with the children, uh, getting muddy, and, uh, you know, being in the rain, it really creates a shock, and they wonder, like, why would anyone do that? And I mean... I mean, you know, for some people, it's like I'm sort of like worldless. Like, what would someone reach with willing to come and do something for me? So, and it's, I think it's a really shocking experience for them. Uh, and I really, I think that there's really a lot of things happening in their minds. But if I have, I have to guess, some of them is just the overwhelming, they feel overwhelmed by the, the, the love and the willingness of the people that are coming to do what they're doing. And, 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 and there's like this thankfulness. In Mexican culture, uh, we, we tend to, if you do something for me, I want to do it for you too. So if you help me, I want to help you. Uh, and, but when it comes to the case that you're giving me so, something so valuable and I cannot pay you, you know, the same way, then it creates this, you know, like uh, shock in their minds that, that it cannot be explained. That's why many times people say, like, I have no words, because we, they don't know how to express what they're feeling. And I'm, I'm not really sure if that gives you a rough idea what, what it goes through their minds and their emotions. Thank you, Roberto. Yes, the, uh, the emotions that we see as a team, it's, uh, it's very touching. Just to see this family and the, <coughs> the appreciation that they have to get a house, and for us as a team. Thank you. One last question, Roberto. With all the different organizations in Mexico, uh, different organizations build houses and, and so on, do you see that the need for houses is going to end in the next little while? I, I told uh, Dennis that Mexicans are like rabbits. They just spread. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, that's a really hard question to answer. Uh, it's, and I mean, it will probably take me a really long time to try to, to answer the question, but I can tell you is that the problem with Mexico itself is no poverty. Uh, the problem itself is corruption. It's the corruption that happens in, in, in the government, and all of the different consequences that happens through that. So, and because the, the wealth of the country remains with the, with the rich people, with the, gov with the uh, presidents, with the governors, and all of that, and all of the people in the bottom can reach out to it, uh, as, as long as this corruption remains the same, I, I think uh, the, it, there will always be need for people, that, uh, there will always be need uh, for a house. Because, I mean, 
I've been there for, uh, I've been in Mexico my whole life, 35 years. And, and you see the cycle is the same, corruption, people get more rich, uh, and you see people being pushed down. So I don't really know if the Elbe gonna be a limit, but I know that if ever uh, corruption, hap uh, corruption happens to finish, then things may change. But as for now, the need will be there for a while. Thank you, Roberto. I could ask you a lot more questions, Roberto, but I think we'll need to move on because of our time. So why don't you take the rest of the time and share something from God's Word? Okay. Thank you, Roberto. Thank you. I'm going to change. He's tall. Okay, <coughs> let's pray. Uh, Padre Celestial, te doy muchas gracias por la oportunidad que tú me das de estar aquí presente. Gracias, Padre, por, por poder compartir un poco de lo que tú tienes, más bien lo que tú has hablado en mi vida. Padre, te pido que tu Espíritu Santo, Padre, toque los corazones y que mueva algo dentro de ello. Que así como tú me has hablado, así como tú me has enseñado, Padre, tú puedas seguir moviéndose en sus vidas y, este, y puedan, Padre, seguir alcanzando y luchando para tu reino. Sorry, I like to pray in Spanish. Uh, so, so when I was thinking about what should I share with you, uh, you know, I was really like struggling like with different ideas and different options. Uh, but then I, this year, and I think it's going to go along with uh, what uh, Dennis and I, we were talking right now. This year, the, the, you know, the theme or the theme of the year uh, on Jugo is together. And, and when I think of together, you know, it's really interesting because we are Mexicans, we have Mexicans, we have Canadians, and we have Americans. And sometimes we have Chinese, sometimes Japanese, Koreans. We have a bunch of people that come down to a country that, you know, mainly speaks Spanish. And, and even among the country, you have people that we serve and we build houses that do not speak Spanish, that they speak entirely different language than I, the, the one I speak. So sometimes we're at the house and, and people ask me, like, what is he saying? And I go, like, oh, no, because <laughs> this is entirely different language. So... And all of this happens in communities, in churches, uh, by doing a VBS, by doing a house project, a special project, a church project. And, and when I think of all of this, it really takes me back many years ago. Um, I've been a Christian my whole life. And I was raised, and uh, I was talking with my friend, uh, Courtney rather, that I was going to raise in a, a Mexican version of Mennonite. Because <laughs> I was, I, I was, I, I was my, my life as a Christian, as a kid, was really strict. Uh, I, there was a lot of no's, a lot of rules. And, uh, and I mean, I, I just follow, and I thought that was how I was supposed to be. And, uh, and I remember, like, some of the things that my church wouldn't allow me to do it. I was not allowed to go to the movie theaters, no dancing, no smoking, no, no alcohol, and there was a lot of noise. And, but, you know, that's how I did uh, my life. And, and I grew up, and at some point, I, 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 
when I we moved, because I, I'm from Mexico City. So when I moved to Ensenada area, and I've, for the first time in my, life, in my life, I was in touch with Americans, I start to happen in something in my life that I, I now I can kind of see what God was taking me. But as I, I think uh, this couple of Americans were the founders of Jugo and Ensenada. So eventually I got involved with Jugo and it was really shocking for me because, you know, from coming from a background that I, I'm used to nose, 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 then I run into a lot of really free will souls, Americans. And I was like, I was impacted. I, it was really shocking to see all of this uh, entirely concept, and they yet they claim to be Christians. And for many years, it really, really, I really, it was really hard for me to process all of this. And God was working. God was doing great things in my life. And so, and now after all of these many years, after 15 years, uh, and you know that now I can look back. It, it's really interesting to see this process and how, you know, and I want to read something from the Bible. Sorry. I promise it's not an awkward silence. If you guys go with me to your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians 12, and it's a bit long. Let's read the verse 12 uh, to the 30, and th this is what it says. <clears throat> The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So, it's, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit, of, uh, one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the food should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would be the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, the, are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat we treat with special honor. And the parts are unpresentable and treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need to no, no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lack it. 
so that there should be no division in the body, but, is, but that each part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part honor, every part rejoices with it. Now you're the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Um, I'm not just going to leave it there. So basically, uh, when, when I think about the body, our body, uh, you know, I do construction. And a few years ago, I may have cut with a skill saw, my hand. Don't ask why, but I cut. And it was really interesting because, you know, you don't even think about it. You don't even think how important is something to you don't have it. And, but if you think about it, really, you know, each part of the body depends on the other. So, and some of them may be more useful than others, but they all work for one benefit, this body. And my, my hand, like, the funny thing, like, this hand can do so many things, and it can help many parts of the body. If I'm itchy, I can just go there, here, right? And it helps. But what if this hand gets itchy? It cannot do it by himself. So you have the other one. Right? Simple like that. And so, and the same thing with the, with the feet. You walk, you run, and, but even, the, even though the feet may carry all the load, or most of the load, uh, it still has the calves, it has the legs, and they all work together, and they all share something. And the funny thing is that none of them look the same. None of them have the same strength, or, I mean, they're not really equal. Because some of them are really small, some of them are really big, some of them really small, like my head. And, you know, but they all have a, a specific function, and it's not for itself. It's always for the body. Always. Everything the, the I mean, yeah, in general, everything we do, it's for the benefit of the body. So, and here we have Paul talking, uh, uh, you know, using the body as a reference to the church. And if you really think about it, we're not really that similar for it. I mean, we all have skills. We have, and even those that you may think, I don't really have that many skills. You do. It's just they're different. And, and I think something really important that we have to understand is that we, we there's many parts that, that, that function different. And we have to understand in order to be better part or to work better in the body, I have to understand what is my function in the body. And many of the, many of the times, our problem is we all want to be the I. We, and you, and you know, I think this is a human thing. We all want to be the popular one. We all want to be the, the people that, uh, you know, give, receive the applause. And, you know, maybe in our body that would be the, the head, because, no, it's beautiful. Mine, at least, yes. And everyone, the head's like, oh, man, I wish I was, I have all of the, all of the commandments or, you know. But who really say, like, oh, man, you have a beautiful hands? No one. I mean, you may receive a lot of beautiful mouth or what a beautiful face. But really, nobody really comes and say, oh, what a beautiful feet you have. And, and you know, like, and that's the problem many times us as a church, as a Christian, that we all want to be the ones receiving the, the, the honor, the comments, the applause. But we have to think of us. We all are 
parts and we all develop something important that helps the body. And many times due to our sinful nature, some people will receive more, more glory. But here's the important thing. So that we have to understand that even though we all are different and we all develop different uh, works, none of it should ever be receiving more praise than other. That in, in, in all of it, we have to constantly remind ourselves that, of course, the glory is for God. And we have to honor those that receive honor. But as we walk our Christian life, and I think the problem is sometimes we, we struggle so much to find purpose is because we look to the people that we think they already have a purpose that tend to be flashy maybe, and we want to be like them. But I think the first important key to become better in the body is to understand that maybe I'm just a hand. Maybe I'm just an eye. Maybe I'm just an ear. Maybe I'm just, I mean, a toe is really important. You lose balance if you don't have. And that's the, the important, like, maybe you may not be called uh, to, you know, preach and go out to the nations, but may, maybe you're called to create balance in the church. Maybe you're called to speak. Maybe you're called to listen what other people are saying and, 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 and speak up and, 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 and all of this for the benefit of the body. You know what I mean? And so in all of this, as we think about it and we try to pursue purpose and we try to uh, spread the gospel and we try to reach out those in need, as, as we understand that we all have a purpose, that we all are able to do something for the, for the body, which is the church. Then the next question is, how, how can we do all of this without fighting with that dissection, without all of the problems that sometimes the church has. Because the reality of it is that in the midst of everything, we will always be human, right? I mean, we will always have our nature, that we will always have those things that sometimes, you know, like, oh, Roberto is so handsome, what can I not be like him? And you're like, oh. Because, you know, it happens. So, I mean... Maybe not, but I'm just using that as an example. Uh, and, but, and the interesting, I'm not going to read a whole of it, but the interesting is that as Paul is describing, you know, the body and the different parts and all of this, on the next chapter, something really interesting happens. And he talks on a really famous uh, chapter, which is, is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and it starts with, if I speak tongues of men and angels, but I have no love, I'm, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy, I cannot phantom all mysteries and all, all knowledge. And if I have faith, I can move the mountains, but I have no love, I am nothing. And it keeps going. And it says, you know, love is not this, love is not that. And, I start, and it gives you a huge list. And... And I think there's a reason why Paul is saying this. And, and I think that is the important, key, the important key that sometimes the body is missing. 
Because as we pursue purpose, as we pursue doing all of these things that God has called us to do, the most important thing that we, and, 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 and at the end of chapter 13, Paul said that we, you can have many things, but if you do not have love, there's just like nothing. And I think love is the thing that binds us together. And, and I think as we do the body, as we, as, as we grow as a church, as we do all of these amazing things that we do, we should always remember that love should be above all things. That as I, sometimes I may struggle with or may have problems with my, with my neighbor, I may have problems with some people, and it's hard to understand, I have to love them. And it's not easy. I was just talking with my friend there, and I, there's some people that is really hard to love. <laughs> I mean, it's like, but that's our calling. That's, that it, and we were able to understand this. As we, it would be so much easier to understand that, yes, people is doing something great, and yes, they fail, but yet God loves them. And who am I to argue against that? I'm called to love them. And, and I have to develop and I have to grow and I have to work my Christian life doing what I'm good at it as a part of the body, but always reminding that the, the thing that joins us should always be love. And... and through all of my years as a Christian, and I've been, you know, I've, uh, I've gone to, cre- to church all my life. I have always really found it really interesting, you know, uh, how as a church we, uh, we connect and how we, re- uh, how we, even we're from different parts, how we collide and we work together. And, and, and the, one of the greatest things that I've been able to see as a church is what love is capable of doing in people's lives. And, and, and people bring it from here to Canada, and people, uh, sorry, bring, bring it from here to Mexico. People take the love from the U.S. to Mexico, and amazing things happen. People's lives change. I've, I've been asked so many times, like, is it worth it to do short missions terms? And, and, and I, for me, the first time I heard that, I was like, that's an interesting question. And, but to see just how a week, even though sometimes in a human mind it's impossible, how to see a, a one week can change people's life is incredible. And there's no even language there. I mean, all it is is you just love them and you just care for them. And, so, and sometimes I wonder, what if we were able to do the same things that we do or you do in Mexico as a church or Americans do in Mexico as a church? And I've seen children that they haven't taken showers in a long time. And they have their faces, uh, you know, you can see the dirt. You, you see all of their faces with, you know, dirty. And I've seen people caring for them and loving them. 
I honestly would hesitate. But people like you and Americans come and do it. And, 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 you, go do it, and you, you go there and do it with a purpose. But what if we turn the things around? And then you were able to see that little children that is messy and dirty with lots of stuff in their face as the person that is next to you that indeed is dirty, indeed, has difficulties and has problems, but yet I still have to love them. And it's not easy, and, and it's difficult, and it is, there's a struggle, but I am here to call. I'm here to love and to spread the gospel even in my church. And something really interesting is in, the, in, in, in the letters of Paul is that he constantly called us to love the church first to provide for the need of the church first. And sometimes we too concentrate in money, but many people here, we, we need love. We lack someone to, to commit to us, to say, hey, I care for you. Hey, how are you doing? And, and, and as a body, to be able to understand that Mexicans will be always Mexicans and will stay there. And we will have our own problems and our difficulties. And what you do will help us and will encourage us to move, in, to move forward. But then yet you return. And then here you are. And then you have neighbors. You have family. You have all of those people that they still need you to love them. They still need patience. They still need to be encouraged. They need all of these things that you have been doing for the church in Mexico. And I think the, the, the experiences that you would go through in Mexico, they shouldn't stay there. They shouldn't just be a memory. They shouldn't just be, you know, a fun time with the crazy Mexican named Roberto. It should bring, you should be able to bring them here and, and to understand that as you were able to impact my life. And just maybe at first, it was hard to, to understand the crazy Americans, and, and, and I struggled with it. But in, in the midst of that, God changed my life. And thanks to that, I'm a better person, and I'm pursuing God because of that impact they did in Mexico. And that my job as a Mexican is to find the ways to spread that among the people. But also I think your job is that whatever you were able to catch, to, you know, if there was anything that you were able to learn from Mexico, you should be able to, to share that here. Because the most difficult people to love are not the Mexicans. It's your own, your family, your parents, you know, that one person that is constantly calling you and you're like, oh, you know, the one that owns you money. All of those people are the hardest ones to love. And, and just to close, I think, I think the reason why God wanted to have so much variety in the body is so that we can understand each other better. I have, I have deal with uh, really... Uh, uh, with, uh, with churches that have lots of rules. I have, I have been with churches that have no rules. I have, I have been with churches that have some rules. And I have been able to 
with, to hang out with all kinds of people. Sometimes I agree, sometimes I disagree, but I, I think sometimes we get too caught in divisions and rules and sometimes theology, but we have to understand that beyond that, we should always understand that all of this should always be for the purpose of the body. It should never be for my own sake. It should never be for me to prove that I'm better or that I have the truth. It, everything that we do, everything that we struggle with, we should always be thought as I need to do it because the church needs to grow. I need to do it because this is good for the church. I may not like it, it may be difficult, and my, I may have to swallow my pride, but only because the church itself will, be, will benefit. And I'm not talking about temple. I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about a family as the body that you and I will represent. And for those that are married, for those with family, you will know better than me. Sometimes the easiest way is just to let go. Sometimes the best way is to give in. Sometimes to put my pride on the side. And I think that's how we should treat the church. In a way that everyone around me has something to teach me. That I can learn from everyone. And I may know a lot. But sometimes I need to understand that I do not know everything. And then if we were able to do that, then the church will, go, will grow tighter. We'll be able to love each other better. And we may not like all the time, but we'll, we'll, we'll be able to understand that beyond that, there's the love that, ha that God has given me. And I just want to thank you because you have no idea how much you have impacted my country. You may not have gone ever. You may have thinking about going but the fact that you have given a penny, you guys have been in here? Uh, the fact that you have just be willing to pray or you still think about it, that has changed life and you're part of it. You're part of my change. You're part of the change of many other churches. And as a Mexican, I just want to thank you. And that's it. <laughs> and let me just pray really quick for you. So let me pray for you, and then we'll do what's next. Heavenly Father, I just want to um, thanks uh, to thank you just for every, every person that is here. You know our hearts, you know our situations, and I just really hope that everything that uh, you have shared with me, everything you have taught me through the years, that I really hope that any of these would really create something in their hearts that as they go back to their houses, as they confront those people that they're not really likable, that they will be, they will understand that they are just as that children in Mexico, that those are people just as, as that they have an, that much need as any other people in Africa, and that we'll be able to confront, and that we'll be able to, to kneel and ask for forgiveness if we have to, and that we'll, everything we'll do as we walk in our daily life, we will always be reminded that we should always do it for the benefit of the church, your body. Thank you.